Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. It was one of the most sublime visuals that ancient Israel had ever seen before. Where it's very early on one particular morning, and there's this enormous crowd of people who are pressing in to hear a rabbi who is instructing all of these people. There's something that is very unusual and very distinctive, though, about this particular young rabbi is that rather than just being another rabbi who is droning on and on in a synagogue, he is seated in a tiny boat and he is speaking to them on the lake of Gennesaret. And so the lake is completely still. And there is the gentlest of breezes. As Jesus speaks about the peace and about the beauty of this new teaching that has authority from God. And yet what I treasure the very most, though, in our text this morning in Luke chapter 5 is what is going to happen in the life of the person who this boat belongs to, who Jesus is sitting in and teaching out of. It belongs to a fisherman whose name is Simon, and he and his Co-workers have just returned from a very long and a frustrating night at work. So we pick up the text in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 5, or rather in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 4. It says that when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night long, and we caught nothing. But I will do as you say, and I will let down the nets. Verse 6 says, When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and to help them, and they came and filled both of their boats so that they began to sink. And I just love this chapter so much because of how utterly relatable it is to us. How intensely practical it is for us, even in in our lives in the world of today. What we see, first of all, in Simon's life on this occasion is, is how Jesus makes his entrance into Simon's life in a period and in a circumstance where he has utterly failed. I picture bags underneath Simon's eyes from years of late nights spent gliding over the waters and fishing underneath the moon. And he and his co-workers have a torch in their hand or at other times they are rowing all night long, lashing the, the seas with their oars, letting down nets and then lifting them back up and seeing what they have. They've literally done this all night long, and now the sun has come up. It's very early, and their eyes are heavy. Their arms are are aching. 
and their hearts are full of anger and disappointment and anxiety. Whereas Simon informs Jesus they have just fished and they have worked hard all night long, but, but they've got nothing to show for it. And Simon's like, I have taxes that need to be paid. I have a family that I'm about to go home to and I don't have any food to put on our table today. It's like, how am I going to get this done? <laughs> and I promise you that the very last thing in the world Simon would have wanted to hear Jesus say in this moment was, I'll tell you what, Simon, why don't we just stay right here in this boat? I want you to row as far out into the sea as you can go. And I want you to let down your nets for a catch. <laughs> Simon would have been like, Jesus, I'll tell you what, why don't you just let me go back to shore, knock yourself out, fish as long as you want to. I'm going to go home and I'm going to go to bed right now. I mean, that's the last thing in the world Simon wants to hear in this moment. Just like there is a world full of people out there. And the last thing in the world that they want to hear anybody say to them is, Hey, I've got an idea. Why don't you come to church with me this Sunday? There are a lot of people who have been to every church imaginable and they have still never experienced Jesus. Many of them, I imagine, have been to churches of Christ and have yet to experience Jesus. A lot of people have gone to church services throughout the years only to feel as if they don't measure up to somebody else. Only to leave feeling attacked or that they were nothing but a number on an attendance chart. Or to feel like the church only wanted their money or to get them on a mailing list. And yet notice though that Jesus is approaching Simon when he is exhausted. When he is disillusioned and, and made anxious by the world. And Simon is encountering Jesus yet again in his life. He encounters him one chapter earlier after he has healed his mother-in-law of a high fever. Simon is going to once again experience just how flimsy our strength and our powers are apart from God. And so his response to Jesus in verse 5 is, Master, we worked hard all night long and we caught nothing. And yet we begin to see the beauty of Peter's heart, though. Where he says, but I will do as you say. I will go out into, there into the deep waters and I will let down our nets for a catch. See, I love this because in so many ways he has the spirit of Mary. We remember what Mary said to servants at a marriage feast at, at just about this particular era of time. As she said of Jesus, her son, that, that whatever Jesus says to you, do it. Simon, in so many ways, is also saying that no matter what you say, Jesus, I, I don't you know, I don't feel like doing it right now, but I'm going to do it. Where it feels impossible, it seems pointless, it makes absolutely no sense, 
But nevertheless, Jesus, I am going to trust in you. I will believe in you, and I will hope in what you say. And just as much, brothers and sisters, when we believe in Jesus like this, when we say that it doesn't make any sense, it feels impossible, it feels pointless, but I'm going to trust you anyway. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to hope in you. It's not that Jesus fills our cup in these moments, but, but notice in the text that, that Jesus fills our cup to overflow. Where we've got blessings spilling out upon the ground. Now as Simon listens to Jesus and he goes out into the deep waters, it would have been incredible if he had caught three or four fish. Maybe this is what he was thinking. Maybe best case scenario, three or four fish. Well, Simon doesn't catch three or four fish. As the text says, there are so many fish that are leaping into their nets that the nets are beginning to break. He calls out for help and his co-workers come and there's so many fish leaping into their boats that they begin to sink. I mean, this was utterly intensely heard of, just completely unheard of. This was so irregular that it was considered a miraculous occurrence. And that's because Jesus fills our cup until it overflows. It's not just merely that on another occasion Jesus feeds a multitude of thousands of people from a boy's sack lunch, but no, he gives them 12 basketfuls left over after he had fed all of those people. Our God provides miracles and blessings for us with cup overflowing. John closes his great gospel and he says that Jesus did so many beautiful things in this world. And Jesus said so many beautiful things in this world that if we were to sit down and to count every single one of them, then I imagine all of the world wouldn't have room for all of the books that would be written. I would tell all of these stories and these tales. And that's because Jesus, when he came to this earth, he didn't just do some beautiful things, but he did so many beautiful things that we can't even remember them all. And so what is Jesus saying to Peter here? He's showing him that I've got power over even nature. That I will transcend humanity's wildest dreams. That I'm greater than all of your failures and what this earth deems impossible. And so it's like, Simon, would you like to see some fish? Here's every fish in the sea. Here's enough money to for your grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren to pay their tax and to feed their families. In my life, when I was a child, I used to pray every day that I would be able to speak just like everybody else. I wasn't able to do that growing up, even into my early adulthood. It would make me go mute. God is like, you want to talk? Do you want to speak? I'm going to make you my messenger on half of the continents of this globe. 
of this planet. You want a wife, David? I'm going to give you the greatest woman that I have ever created. And my cup overflows every day as a Christian and as a husband. What about you? Where have you felt utterly hopeless and helpless and have have implored God for his power to enter into that pursuit? As the Apostle Paul writes his epistle to the church at Ephesus, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more exceedingly, abundantly beyond anything that we could ever ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. You see, this is what is happening on the lake of Gennesaret. As Simon's co-workers are just hugging each other and they are, are shouting in joy and they are laughing. And yet Simon is just looking at Jesus. Utterly amazed. Left in a state of awe. Left in a state of speechless gratitude. As tears begin welling up in his eyes, that is when Simon makes this statement. Where he just shakes his head and kind of steps back and says, get away from me, Jesus. Get away from me, Jesus. You see, verse 8 is one of my favorite moments in all of Scripture. Because this is just a beautiful moment that Simon has with Jesus, where it says, But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all of his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so as all of these fish are breaking their, their nets and their boats, Simon falls down at Jesus' feet in absolute reverence as they reach shore. And I mean, he's in a state of total reverence towards Jesus. And I love so much the movie Chronicles of Narnia. It, of course, is allegorical to the gospel of Christ and and the main hero of this story is a lion whose name is Aslan. Aslan, of course, is representative of Jesus, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And as these children walk into this nation for the very first time, and they're about to meet Aslan for the first time, before Aslan even comes out of his tent, the whole entire nation, the only way that they can respond is by falling flat on their faces in reverence towards their king. And this is what is happening here as Simon, Simon experiences Jesus for the very first time in this way. Yes, what he did for his mother-in-law was incredible, but, but I mean, that was nothing compared to this. And so Simon is just trembling at the feet of Jesus Processing that I am in the presence of holiness right now. You know, he also 
reacts to this miracle and to all of this success in his business by, by just shaking his head and thinking, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve any of this. You see, he's living in a religious culture that has a gross misconception of God's blessing. They believe that good things only happen to the most pious of people. Simon is just looking at himself and saying, I'm, I'm not pious. There's nothing great about me. Why is this happening to me? I deserve for horrible things to happen to me. And it's then when he makes his boldest confession of all that he ever made in his lifetime. Where he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Well, a week ago, we had seen how an entire village had approached Jesus on one occasion. It said, Jesus, get out of our, our city and don't come back. This is a... You know, this is not like that at all. This is a different response, though, that he makes. This is Simon saying that Jesus is not an ordinary person. Blessings of this magnitude is the product of something that can only come from the heavens. And the more enchanted Simon is by the holiness of Jesus, the more ashamed he is of his wickedness. Whereas he looks upon Jesus, he feels utterly worthless in comparison. Notice in the text how he refers to Jesus in verse 8, twice in one sentence as Lord. Lord, go away from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Notice how he refers to himself in comparison. He says, you need to get away from me right now because I am a sinful man. We've got to understand that that word sinner was a word that was in circulation in this society that was reserved for only the very worst of the very worst of sinners. It was in reference to tax collectors who would cheat people out of money and who were in collusion with the enemy Rome. It was a word that you would refer to when you saw a prostitute, perhaps. But Simon is placing himself in that category. He's saying to Jesus that I am no better than the prostitutes, than the tax collectors. And whenever I write a sermon any given week, there are many lines from songs that come to mind that remind me of what I'm reading. And all week long, there is a song, a Tony Bennett song from 1958 that has a beautiful line that, that just keeps coming to me as I, I hear Simon saying this to Jesus. We're in that song, what Tony Bennett sings close to the end is a very poignant line where he says, leave me and set me free. Look away, look away, look away from me. And this is where Simon is right now as he stands before Jesus is that I am such a horrific sinner that you just need to walk away from me right now and never look at me again, Jesus. 
There are a lot of people in the world, and we may be such a one this morning, who, who feels that my darkness is too dark, that my sins are too heinous, that my worst is simply too un, unforgivable. And Simon's heart is just so broken over his own sin and his imperfection and his flaws that he says, get away from me, Jesus. You and I don't belong together. It's an abomination for me to even breathe the same air as you or to stand in your holy presence. And it reminds me a lot of a quote by C.S. Lewis. As C.S. Lewis once had written, No man knows how truly bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. And whether we are, are like Simon Peter in response to the goodness of Jesus, or we have the spirit of scribes and Pharisees who were self-righteous, really this is all of our story that we're reading this morning. You see, we all have blood on our hands. We all have a past. Every single one of us has skeletons in our closets and in the attic and in the basement, and in the trunk of our car, and buried six feet deep in our backyard. Every single one of us has stepped into the darkness and made the demons gush with glee. Every one of us, as the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans, has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. And yet the good news is, the good news is, is that as Simon says, go away from me, Jesus, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I mean, this is exactly what Jesus is looking for. He's seen enough of the pious self-righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees who hated everybody's sins but their own. Look at Jesus' response in the latter part of verse 10. Where Jesus says to Simon, do not fear, but from now on, you will be catching men. And it's in this moment where Simon, along with his co-workers and his brother, leaves their job behind and follows Jesus. Go away from me, Jesus, for I am a sinful man. I mean, this is exactly what Jesus is looking for. This is what yanks on every string of the heart of God. It's the spirit of a centurion where he says to Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to come underneath my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marvels at that centurion. And his servant is healed at that very hour. It's what is welling up in the prodigal son as he is knee-deep in the pig pen and he says that I'm going to go back to my father's estate and I'm going to let him know that I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And yet before he can even rattle through that speech that he's rehearsed to his father that he's unworthy to be called his son, his father is sprinting towards him. He squeezes him as hard as he can, lifts him up in the air, kisses him all over his face, throws him a party. He says, get back in my family, get back in my kingdom. 
It's the attitude of a man Jesus speaks of in a parable who has cheated people out of all kinds of money and he feels unworthy to even lift his head to the sky as he prays and all he can do is just God, be merciful to me. I am a very sinful man. It's the spirit of a song that we sing oftentimes at the Lord's communion table that, that, that nothing good have I done to deserve God's own son. I'm not worthy of the scars in his hands. And yet he chose the road to Calvary to die in my stead. Why he loves me, I just can't understand. Simon says, I'm not worthy to stand in your presence. And Jesus says, I still choose you, Simon. And if my eye is upon the sparrows and the pigeons and the crows, then think of how much more my eye is upon your soul and for your welfare. So from now on, you're going to be fishing for the souls of men. What, well, what in the world does that mean? He's saying to Simon, you're going to be stepping into my shoes very soon. You're going to be speaking on my behalf. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom so that you can, of all people, you will be the one who will bring my good news gospel for the very first time to Jewish and Gentile ears. And you thought that you saw a lot of fish today. <laughs> you haven't seen anything yet, Simon. Because there are going to be multitudes of ruined sinners just like you. And you are going to be the one who will welcome them into the family of God. And so what do you want to do, Simon? Would you like to spend the rest of your, your life and your days fishing all night long for nothing but seaweed and boots? Or would you like to follow me and change the world forever? Notice that Jesus is saying this before he's even seen Simon's worst. I mean, he's going to get into these stupid arguments about how he's the greatest apostle of all. He's going to tell Jesus, nope, you're not going to the cross. I'm not going to let that happen. Just about an hour or so later, he's going to curse and swear under oath and say that he never heard of Jesus over and over again. Even later on, he, he's going to revert back to some racism that the gospel of grace called him out of. And yet even though he's going to screw up royally, just like we are going to screw up royally, Jesus recognizes how poor in spirit Simon is. And when we are poor in spirit, just like Simon is, this is the kind of heart that God can do his work with. You see, when we're poor in spirit, we are able to look at people the way that Jesus does. With that exquisite grace where we feel a love for every single person we lay our eyes upon. And yet as we close this morning, Simon left the harbor every single night for his job, but there are churches and there are so many Christians. I mean, it's just so easy for us to get so comfortable living in the harbor. 
When Jesus is inviting us to go out into the deep waters where it is dangerous and where it is uncertain and where it is scary and, and unpredictable. And yet if we will trust Jesus just like Simon did to go out into those deep waters and to let down our nets for a catch and to trust him unconditionally anyway, we too are going to have moments in our lives, those those sacred, hallowed moments where our only response to what unfolds before our eyes is to fall down before the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. I close with this thought this morning. Just before Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's arrested and ultimately Later on, as he's crucified, not long after, he's washing his apostles' feet as one last lesson. And he gets to Simon now, who is called Peter. And he begins washing Peter's feet, and he, he just kind of stops Jesus and he says, you see, he still has this attitude. He says, Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to be washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. You shouldn't be washing my feet, Jesus. Jesus' response is, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And I just love Simon Peter's reaction to, to that as he says, well, if that's the case, then Lord, you need to be washing my, my hands and my head too. So much of us wants to tell Jesus, Lord, get away from me. I am a sinful man. And yet in his exquisite grace, though, he, he calls us to the shadow of his wings. And says that you are my beloved son and daughter in whom I am well pleased. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, so much of us wants to say, go away from us, walk away and never look upon us again. Because we are the antithesis of holy. Or so we would think. We don't deserve to commune with you for eternity in your heaven. If we were, and if you were to count iniquities, who could stand before you, O oh God? And yet because of the blood that fell down from the cross and the, and the grace that, that is lavished upon us now, you look upon us as holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. Lord God, help us to have this spirit that Simon had and to never lose it as we fall before your feet every day. Lord, you are our God and we love you and we will hope in you. It's in the strong and resurrected name of Jesus the Christ we pray and we live and we die. Amen.